I'm Mark Gardner from Ride, and you are on air with Gareth and Ryan from Six Pack. I've got time for one more round and a six pack to go. Six pack. One six pack to go. Welcome to Six Pack, a podcast in which a couple of old drinking buddies share some favourite tunes and a six pack of beer. We'll choose a year, spin six tunes, and down six beers. I'm Gareth, and he's back with a bad back. It's Ryan. Well, that's true, actually, Gareth. How does that relate to 1991? It doesn't have to. It's just about you. Oh, okay. Uh, this yeah. episode, we'll be playing music from the year 1991. Can you tell the listeners how you damaged your back? <laughs> um, well, it's funny, Gareth. There was a fire, and I heard um, a little baby screaming, right? And I thought, it's my duty to break down the window and save that baby, on, which I did. How did you actually? And that's how I did my back. <laughs> how did you actually do your back? It might have been picking up a six-pack of it beer. Picking up a six-pack. Six it was picking up a six-pack of beer. The and I week. slipped a disc in my back <laughs> and have spent about $1,000 at a physio since then. Okay. Yeah. We've got a good guest this week, another one. They're playing here very soon at the Forum in Melbourne, which is a great venue, and they're on an Australian tour. Should we say who it is? Special guest drinking buddy, Mark Gardner from Ride. Mark Gardner from Ride. It's another beauty, isn't it? Oxford shoegaze, I guess you can call them. Yeah, we've had a couple of American guests. About time we had a, a Brit on. Back to Britain, yeah, from Oxford. Yeah. I would have seen Ride play many times back yep. in the day. They've yep. got their early EPs and other stuff that they put out. So, um, yeah, very exciting to talk to Mark. I don't know if it's stereotype, but um, is everyone from Oxford pretty polite? He was a very, <laughs> very polite gent, very affable. Maybe. Yeah, he was really good value yeah. and I oh, loved chatting to him. And uh, yeah. at the end he said it was like therapy for him, <laughs> didn't he? Maybe we should come therapist, Gary. Yeah, yeah. And obviously... On creation records at a really important time yeah. for independent music in the 90s there. and Yes, oh, and he and, talks about that. And, and he's put out some great records since reforming, actually. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a good chat. We'll talk to him a little bit later. Got some brews. What have we got? Okay, so the guys at Bintani, Gareth, they've given us Hargreaves Hill, mm. Dortmund-style lager, which now Ooh, Dortmund is, is German. Yeah. This is nice. Because I only know that because of the soccer team Borussia Dortmund. Mm. Now, what does you know a bit of German? What, is, what does Dortmund mean? Well, it's the name of the It's a town. Is it a town? Yeah. So when this says Dortmund Lager, what does that well, mean? It's a city or town. Yeah, that's I better read. Let's see what this it's says. From, it's from Dortmund or Dortmund style. So, Oh, is Hargreaves Hill German? Nah, no, no, no. They're just copying that style of... Uh, okay, well, I'll read you what it says. It says, at the heart of the brewing process is fermentation when the perfect combination of yeast, malt, hops... Temperature and time is mastered. A drinkable miracle happens, and it's right inside this bottle. Well, remember when we spoke to Anton, we were talking about in yeah. Germany, you have to only have those four ingredients in, yeah. a, in a lager yeah. for a beer, and that's what this is based on. So that's um, none of your weird stuff in there. This is classic. It's very crisp. There you go, nice. 4.2%. Thanks to the guys at Bintani. Bintani supply hops, malt, and yeast to the beer industry. Make Bintani your partner in taste and quality. Thanks, Bintani. That's actually delicious. It's yeah. good, isn't it? Mm. Dortmund. I like, yeah, I like that. Um, so 1991. We actually did 91 back with... Um, Dave from Custard. 
Yeah, Dave McCormack from Custard. Yep. Yeah, he played a Pixie song, didn't he? Yeah, and we played a bunch of Creation records back then. We did, so we can't do that again. No, probably not. Yeah, no. um, we've got, we got to go different to that. Yeah, a little bit different to that, I think. Yep. I was, you remember, I was yeah. 20. And I thought you were going to say you were like 37. Or... No, I was, I was 20, <laughs> living in Cardiff as a yeah. student. Probably spent a lot of time in Spiller's record shop. Okay, don't know Cardiff, that. Which is the, right. That's a cool record shop, is it's it? It's the oldest record shop in the okay. world, yeah. in the world that's still open. I think it's still open. Maybe yeah. it's closed now, but when, when I was there, it was open. Yeah. And yeah, it was a cool record shop, kind of independent record shop. Vinyl or CDs were you buying? I was, both. I was actually buying a the bit. Ta- the tape was dead in 91, wasn't it? Dead yeah, I never buried. really got into buying tapes anyway. Oh, I did in the 80s. Did you? Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, I that'd was be a, here. It was either CD or vinyl. I'd record stuff onto tape and steal it, but I would never actually buy, okay. buy a record on tape. As a student, I'd be buying vinyl. Hey, I've got a good um, little fact for you, Gareth, before we kick off in 91, quite relevant. We're drinking Hargaree's Hill this episode, but you know how we're pretty partial to a Guinness Oh, yeah. I've got a good fact for you. The little, this is in 1991, the little plastic ball in cans of Guinness beer won the Queen's Award for Technological Advancement, Ooh. beating the internet and email. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> that is an amazing fact. That's what a, what a, what a fucking time to be alive. Fact you've ever come you reckon up that's with? the best fact I've come up with? Oh, very relevant. Harks yeah. back to episode one when we were drinking Guinness from a can. So having it those little, having those little balls in there and having yeah. that nitrogen. So that's when draft Guinness came out. Amazing, yeah. isn't that? Isn't that? That's it a good is, one. It's better than the yeah. internet. I would have been drinking brains back then. Do you know what brains is? No, no. So it's a brewery in Cardiff. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't travel very well. But as, as a student, we'd have been drinking brains. Yeah. Brains SA cheap piss for students. I guess so, but it was good. It was kind of a little bit thick like Guinness, but but a bitter. Okay, like yeah. And uh, they used to sponsor the Welsh rugby team. Oh, okay. And is so it spelled bra- like B-R-A? Yeah, like brains. It, yeah, and they, okay. they would have brains across the front of their shirt. Yeah. And um, when the Welsh rugby team played in France, mm. you're not allowed to sponsor alcohol. At the time, you weren't allowed to okay. sponsor alcohol on yeah. TV. Yeah. So they changed it from brains to brawn across the thing. They just put brawn in the same logo. That's quite good marketing. That's very clever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But we need to play some music, don't we, from 1991? Yeah, am I got? kicking us off? Yeah, go on. I'm going to kick us off. Um, and This is an American band. This is their second album. Uh-huh. I didn't know about it in 91. I came to them in 92 when they had a monster hit that mm. came out um, a little bit later. I'm pretty sure that was not a hit in the UK, but it was massive here. But um, this one's pretty cool. Have a listen to this one. Mm. <clears throat> Yeah, number one. Song one.
If you please pass me the pork roll and your cheese If you please hold the casserole I thought you were going to get that straight away And you were talking about it uh, First I'm, of all you thought they were female singers No I'm guessing Obviously there's a, there's affected voices yeah, in there to which, me which, which they put I think they put that effect on their big hit a year yeah. later. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to guess. Yeah. I'm going to say that's Ween. That is Ween. Yeah. And okay. that's um, Pork Roll, Egg and Cheese off, right. off their second album, Pod. I don't know that album very well. I know yeah. some Ween stuff. I know the country stuff they did and things like I'm that. I'm a pretty is, big fan. Yeah. I, I, like the, I, I reckon the best album is that 10 Country Greats. Yeah. That's yeah. the best. Yeah. That's good. Um, but that, that album is pretty out there, mm. isn't it? And you can- It's well, really cool. I like so it. what is that effect they're putting on the vocals? Because that's what they put on Push the Little Daisies. Yeah. So that's yeah. just pitching it up, essentially. Just pitching it up. Okay. Probably. They may have recorded it at a different speed in the first place if they were probably working on tape back then. And they were just fucking around in there, mm. you know, at home, I think, when mm. they did that. Yeah, cool. And um, it's funny because I was toying up with that one. There's another one called- sketches of Winkle. Shall I give you a little tiny bit of that? Because it's a bit like, um, you, know, you know, you've got Pictures of Lily. You, you know the Who song, Pictures oh, yeah, right. of Lily. Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. This one's called Sketches of Winkle. Mm. And it's very, very different. We're looking at the artwork here. You know what, what that artwork is. A, um, it's based on the um, Leonard Cohen album. Oh, uh, yes, I can see. And I read His today. His greatest hits. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I read today when... I always thought, like, you know, it's crazy how they recreated um, the artwork for the Leonard Cohen album. But when I was, you know, I picked this song and was doing some research, they literally got the Leonard Cohen album. Uh, they cut out a picture of their oh. mate's head and put it on it and took a photo. Wow. And that's the album. I'm not sure you could do that these days. You couldn't do that. Have a listen to this one. This one's funny. This is called Sketches of Winkle off the same, um, same album from right. 1991. Yeah. So you get the picture on that one. You never know what you're going to get with Ween, do you? So it's all, all over the shop. Brilliant musicians. Um, love a bit of Ween. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Very cool. Just talk about what I was doing in '91. Yeah. I was a student. I don't yeah. know what it was like for you when you were a student. What was your typical student day like? Oh God, um, wake up at midday. Mm. Um, Miss the lecture that was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not go to the lecture. <laughs> go to the pub. Uh, you know, what about you? I was a terrible student. Yeah, me I, too. I was shocking. I was, yeah. I don't think people should be students when they're 18 years old. No, they shouldn't. And in the UK, you tend to move away and yes, kind of go. And in America as well, you go and stay at yeah. um, college or Yeah, whatever. so I'm, I moved away from yeah. England to be a student in Cardiff. Yeah. There for three years. And yeah. I've, I worked out that I was probably in Cardiff for a third of those Three yeah. years, because I had a girlfriend in Nottingham. Oh, so you're just going down to Nottingham. I'd extend my weekend. Yeah. So I'd go, you know, I might go on a Thursday and come back on a Monday or a Tuesday. Yeah. And uh, miss lectures. I was terrible. Wait, wait, would I you say, she... did she live with her parents or? Oh, no, she was at, she was at Nottingham Uni and I was oh, at- Oh, and you were uh, like Cardiff Uni or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So, you know, stupid, young, dumb, 18-year-old, yeah. whatever, yeah. 18, 19, 20. Yeah. 
that's what I did. So I would, uh, wouldn't you get the train? I'd get the train. I spent a lot of time on the train Jeez. from Cardiff what, to how, Nottingham. How, how long does it take to get from Cardiff to uh, Nottingham? Three hours or something. <laughs> One way. Yeah. Oh, so I'd do that like <laughs> most weekends or every other weekend at least. And I would. Um, I was terrible. I was. Didn't I, you get a physics degree or I've something? I got a physics degree yeah. just about somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, if I could go back to my. If you could turn back time. If you could turn back time yeah. to my 20-year-old self, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd give myself a slap and say, what are you doing? Well, I think we'd all do that. But when you, your brain is so um, malformed at that age that you, you know, you it, don't know what you're doing. It was perfectly formed. It was, no, but you don't but know, was, you don't know you what know. you're doing. No. So I was into music. So I you hit about 45. I was into music more than I was into physics. So yeah. I was, you know. Going to gigs. But is, is it, you got you got to do something. Like you can't, like, you know, do you reckon you would have been capable of holding down a job at that age? I'm not I'm sure not, I would have Probably been. not, but yeah. I didn't think too hard about what I was going to study. You know, mm. you do what you, I was okay at physics at school, so yeah. I'll go and do physics and I was never going to be. I was never going to work in a lab and be a physicist. Yeah. But look think. at us now. We're, um, we're, we're king podcasters. <laughs> but, it, that, um, but it did lead on to everything it do, I suppose, leads on to something else. But I, I had some funny times as a student. I'm, you know, I'm still friends with my, uh, yeah. my housemates. I, 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 I sort of think like university is there in a way to like people are either going to go into the workforce or they're going to be unemployed, aren't they? So yeah. you've got to, they've got to do something. And I, learned, I definitely learned life skills from doing that. Yeah, you know, living on your own for the first time, all that stuff. And I, yeah, I um the have we, have I told you about my fire? No, I, no, no, so, you haven't. Have I told it, I've, tell the story. <laughs> yeah. So I was away for the weekend in Nottingham. And yeah, no, no, you were visiting your um your lady of, at, at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. She was Miss Nottingham, nineteen seventy four. <laughs> and there were no um, mobile phones then, so yeah. I was away for the weekend. But yeah. somehow there, a fire had started in my uh, room in the share house, in yeah. the student share house. Yeah. And all my mates who were still at the house, they were, were going out for the night. Yeah. And I think one of them had to come back because they had to change his shoes because he was trying to get into a nightclub <laughs> and he only had trainers on. Remember those days? <laughs> young, young, young people are idiots, yeah. aren't they? So yeah, he came yeah, back and he realised that my there was smoke coming out of my bedroom. Yeah. And these were, I lived with electrical engineers and they went in there, yeah. in an electrical fire, they went in and threw buckets of water <laughs> into, <laughs> into the, um, well, they threw water onto the electrical fire and passed yeah. out. One of them went to hospital and stuff. So Jesus. it could have been, I could have died back then. I would, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. We wouldn't be would doing have, it. Um, and the fault was in a um, an old TV that I had in my room and it. Burnt all my notes from being a student. Yeah. That was my excuse anyway when I tried to get an extension yeah. on Did my Did you work. go for special consideration? Special consideration. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it melted a keyboard I had at the time. And with the insurance money, I bought a guitar. Oh, there you go. There you go. When they went to clear up the room afterwards, they wondered up why all those cutlery was in my bedroom there was like there was loads of knife yeah, and yeah. forks and spoons yeah, yeah. all over the floor you were that shit housemate no no, no 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 they yeah. they'd gone and throw they'd thrown the oh. they'd thrown the washing up bowl to try and put the thing out <laughs> it was the washing up bowl. that's that's like uh, um police going through the going through a crime they were, scene going, they were like, going through and they were what like, the hell's going on and somebody in my absence had gone in and, and put a load of jazz mags <laughs> under my bed they, well, that wasn't me they're like this guy's sick <laughs> He's sick and needs help. I might have to edit that out. I think my, <laughs> I think my mother listens. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, sorry mother. Um, 
I think you better play us a song, Gareth. All right, okay. Yeah, we're all yeah. It's my first tune. We only yeah. got the first tune. So I'm going to choose. I don't love this tune, but it's a good talking point. I, okay. I keep saying that these days, don't yeah. I? But um, check this one out. It was a massive hit. I think it was a number two hit. Okay.
good one, Gareth. I was thinking of playing that as a bit of an also ran, but mm. tell the listeners who that was. Well, it's KLF. Yeah. Justified and Ancient. What a ridiculous song. What a ridiculous with, song. With the guest vocals by the country music star Tammy, Tammy Wynette, Wynette from singing, America. Singing a bunch of nonsense. So she's singing about, you know, they're justified and they're ancient and they, you know, and Moo Moo Land and all that stuff. It's, it's gibberish. Tell us about the KLF. I don't know a huge amount about them. So it's Bill Drummond. Yeah. And Jimmy Corty. Yeah. A duo. Where are they from in England? Uh, he's Bill, Bill Drummond Scottish. Remember? Oh, okay. we, we might have mentioned him when I said he used to manage. Oh, yeah. He used to manage. Um, he did some early production with Echo and the Bunnymen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And he was yeah. in, he was based in Liverpool for a while. So he was yep, part of that yep, kind of. that scene. That okay. Eric scene. Yep. He was in a band with um, Holly Johnson from uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yeah. Yep. And he was part of that. Um, um, Julian Cope scene and that stuff. So, yeah. interesting guy. Um, yeah. He got together with Jimmy Corty, who I think it was in the band Orb oh, previously. Yeah. So, they yeah, kind of okay. had the. And prior to this, they'd done the. <laughs> um, that Doctor in the TARDIS song. Yes, which we played a little bit of. Yeah. yeah. So, they'd done that. And they were. Um, it fascinates me because he. It's more it, it, about. It, it, it's a bit housey as yeah. well. Oh, totally. Which was the time, you know? 91. Yeah. yeah. So it's a real zeitgeisty kind of. Um, How on earth did they get Tammy Wynette to agree to do it? <laughs> you know, they were huge. That was a big hit. I remember that being like, I'm pretty sure that was like a it was number it, two. What kept oh, it? it num- off, what kept it off the top of the charts in the UK? This is number two in the UK. Um, was it Brian Adams? No, nah. no. Ooh, Whitney Houston. No, nah. no, nah, 91. No, nah, I don't know what. Bohemian Rhapsody, because old- Oh, uh, God, Freddie had died. Freddie died. I think we mentioned so, that last yeah, time. Yeah, we mentioned we? that in l- yeah. last time. But um, So Freddie died. So they were number two, but they'd sold loads of records over those few years. And yeah. then all of a sudden, they just packed it in. They said, we're leaving the music industry. And they left. I think it was at um, an award ceremony. They just, I think they got like machine guns out, fake machine guns out and played yeah. with, played with uh, was it Napalm Death or Extreme Noise Terror or one of those kind of, as a sort of big finale. Yeah, they yeah, kind yeah. Of, and they Like go, metal bands. Yeah. yeah and they right. go, KLF have left the music industry. Okay. And then they burnt the million dollar, a million pounds, which yeah. is kind of well documented. We don't need to talk about that stuff. But they were just, they, they had this sort of philosophy around what they did, which was based on, around sort of the Illuminatus trilogy and stuff like that and all, yeah, all the right. symbolism they used. They were into numerology. They were into symbol and just repeating kind of, Weird, like the the term "justified ancients of Moo yeah. is just gibberish. Yeah, right. But okay. it's from that Illuminatus trilogy, and um, the fact they got Tammy Wynette to sing they justified nuts, it and they're D- ancient. D i v o r c e, Tammy Wynette. Oh, you know, it's just amazing, yeah. amazing, and, and, and it was a big hit. Yeah, and I, I don't really like it musically, but I like the sort of. It's idea interesting what, the, what yeah. they've come, what they've. They've, if you read the manual, which is the book they did yeah. around uh, how to have a number one hit single, they've kind of deconstructed what they think they need to do in order to get a number one hit single. What do you think also of, because I remember when that came out and like, you know, I would have been like 14 or whatever. I didn't like it. I didn't mm. dislike it. When I was 14, I wouldn't have known who Tammy Wynette was. Yeah, right. And for someone like when you look back in later life and you go, you know, two oddballs from the UK like messing around and go, I know, let's get one of the best country music singers of all time to come in and you sort of have a bit more respect for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were very savvy. You know, they knew what they were yeah. doing in terms of industry because they what, what they come from. Um, Bill Drummond had actually a few years before, like 85 or something, tried to 
do a country record on his own. Wow. Uh, like and like he's a, a serious as, one. as a Scotsman, kind of semi-serious, I think. And then he just kind of morphed into this thing. And he's written some brilliant books, if you... Um, yeah, like music industry style. Just tales of what he's done and what he thinks about the music industry. So a book called 45 when he was 45 okay. years old and he's done one called The 17. I should do I should. one now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's the KLF. You know how that sound was kind of around in 91? Mm. Do you want me to play you like... That's it maybe at its best. Do you want me to play it to you at its worst? Go on, what you got? I'm going to give you 10 seconds of a soap star. Oh, yeah? It's it's just got a lot of that sound. And if you, okay. But done badly. Okay, yeah, yeah. And if you look at the film clip, do you remember the film clips around that time sort of had everyone, like there were always like hired dancers and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, in, yeah. in black and white pants and stuff. This is a terrible song from right. Soap Star. That's probably about as much as we need. That's enough. That's Do you know enough. that like that was an no. Aussie soap star who did it, Melissa Counts. Oh, who, right. She was in E Street, like a home and away style thing, oh. cashing in on that sound. Yeah, well everyone was everyone was doing it. All the soap stars were standing. Yeah. Oh, I've got another bad one. Do you yeah, want to hear go another on, bad on. one? Yeah. We could do a whole bad ninety one, like the worst tunes of nineteen ninety one. This one's pretty bad. I think it's a follow up to one of his massive hit, but this, yeah. this is this is terrible. We don't need to play anymore. No, 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 no. <laughs> that was obviously Vanilla Ice, but I think we need to touch on those shit artists because they were yeah. there and they were present. Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, like for every ween and like whatever, yeah. like that no one was listening to, yeah. the charts were full of that shit. Yeah. In that song, he starts talking about uh, marching like a Nazi, <laughs> which oh, you yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't get away with that no, these days no. or something like that. Anyway. All right, Gareth. So uh, I've got my tune. Then we're going to cut to Mark Gardner from Ride. I'm going to play a British tune. Mm-hmm. It's from a band who um, hit the heights pretty big time. This is from their debut album in 1991. I think they've later said about this album that they weren't really happy with it and were sort of forced to go down the route. A bit Stone roses oh. that kind of sound. You'll know who it is instantly when the vocals come in and they went on and they created their own um, British genre a little bit after. Have a listen. Okay. Song three. Another day where it went, I could not 
never done to panic It's not really worth your while Bang goes another year In and out of one in Everybody's doing it So do it too I don't need anyone But a little first album mm. Leisure and I picked that song because um, it wasn't a single the big single was There's No, There's Other, Way. no Other Way that's yeah. a cool song yeah but, it's good um, but it's funny like they've got like that sort of baggy drum beat yeah them, which was I guess sort of the like hangover that. from yeah. Manchester Madchester is, stuff is that, really. is, that, is that a sort of example of the 80s becoming the 90s there I don't know Little bit, yeah, probably. Yeah. That's the, that crossover period, and obviously they went on to do the massive, yeah, huge, huge things. Graham Coxon, the guitarist, he's one of my favourite guitarists, and um, you can hear him like the riffs are bloody cool. Yeah, yeah he's a great guitarist. Yeah, and um, if you've heard his solo albums, they're not that good. Have you ever heard his solo albums? Well, let's not say that in case he comes on. <laughs> Now, a Garrett, to quote you, we're leaving it in. Yeah. But I think he needs the wankery of Damon Albarn. You yeah, know, you, you're a bit, you were talking last week about um, Jay Mascus and um, yeah, Lou Barlow. Okay. Like, it's they need each other. Some too. of the parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Damon Albarn's done all right on his own, kind of. Obviously. Do you reckon it's that good, though? I don't know. It's not my cup of tea. Yeah, cause... I mean, I prefer Blur over any other stuff he's done, which is good. Um, what's the connection between Blur yeah. and the previous band we played, KLF? 
Um, Tammy Wynette did uh, no, slept, so, slept with them all. So <laughs> Dave Balfe, who set up um, yeah. the record label that Slur signed to, Food. Oh, yeah. Was the co-manager of Teardrop Explodes with Bill Drummond. Oh. They're from, it's a Liverpool scene thing. So they're all okay. kind of, Dave Balfe did a lot of stuff yeah. in Liverpool with, with Bill Drummond back then. I, I do know when they signed to Food Records, they weren't called Blur, they were called Seymour. Seymour. Isn't it funny that, um, you know, like they, they had the, the, the announced to go, all right, we've got to get rid of the name Seymour. That, that whole thing about bands changing the names for, from, yeah, I guess, what were Radiohead called before they were Radiohead? They oh, it wasn't on a Friday? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah like, what a that. shit name. And then that's a Talking Head song. Yeah. Um, Radiohead. Yeah. Blowdive <laughs> used to be called the Pumpkin Fairies. But how do you become a big band? You um you play the game. Is I guess that right? so. Yeah, yeah. All right, speaking of yeah. uh, huge bands from 1991, let's go and have a and, chat. With, and still going strong. And still going strong and yeah. uh, come heading over here soon. Uh, let's go and have a chat with Mark. Let's do it. Hello, Mark. Hi, Mark. How are you going? Oh, yeah. I can drink tea, right? I haven't got a six-pack, but I'm an Englishman drinking tea in the morning. That feels right. That's the way it always <laughs> goes. And we're either speaking to someone drinking and they're having tea or coffee or the other way around. So are you in Oxford? It's 9am over there, isn't it? I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in Oxfordshire, yeah. So I'm, I'm at my studio, a more residential bit of it. But um, yeah, the, the rest of it is down the stairs. And so uh, and I'm here. I basically live here because I'm just forever doing stuff here. That's it. That's my life now. Okay. <laughs> and when I'm not doing that, I'm on the road with the ride. So it's sort of more so the production work, more so than yeah, stuff, much more isn't so. It? I think now um, this is more like my full-time job, I guess. It has been for quite a while, and that now covers anything from uh, recording. Well, now we've got, got through COVID, um, bands sort of come in, so obviously there's recording work, uh, there's mixing, um, there's production and mastering. I do a lot of mastering here because it's a proper space and I can actually hear what's going on. Um, but a little bit scary because the building was just kind of, finished and then uh covid struck and i just sort of thought what the hell have i done <laughs> i'm from the uk originally i grew up near reading so i would have seen you playing back in the day reading trade union club or a few of those venues yeah yeah um, reading's like 20 minutes away on a train from where i am so i'm i'm towards reading actually so i'm sort of Oxfordshire, but getting on towards reading and yeah yeah for sure yeah reading's changed a lot over the years <laughs> yeah i haven't been back there for a while i've been living in uh, melbourne for oh, 12 years or so now but um, growing right. up in Reading at that time, there was, you know, we we're of a similar age, uh, that Thames, yeah. Thames Valley scene, as it was called back then, you know, with Slow Dive and Chapter House, yourself, yeah. and Swerve Driver and those amazing bands that were coming through. Um, I've got Swerve Driver coming in soon, actually. He's yeah, right. coming in with, with Mikey from Supergrass. He still keeps going. <laughs> Love what I was going to ask, was it a friendly scene or was there a bit of competition going on back then? Were you kind of hanging out together it's probably a bit of all of that i mean i remember when we we you know we just started going to gigs and you know at that time you start drinking going to gigs smoking a bit of pot and seeing what bands were coming through we knew that we were kind of getting our band together and um that was a sort of powerful time and i do remember being in the jericho tavern and seeing chapter house mm. and just being like what the hell was that i was really it really sort of blew me away they were pretty raucous, but initially it was like, who the hell is that? They were called incest before they changed their name to I didn't know that. Wise move. <laughs> yeah. Change that name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I thought they were great. Obviously, with Slow Dive, I didn't really know about them until they became part of Creation Records. Um, 
so I, I think, uh, you know, maybe I, I was trying to think when I first saw him. I mean, we, they sort of supported us on a few early shows. And again, I, I really liked him. I mean, uh, you know, just for doing that thing, they, they did it really well. And I really loved those, the first EPs they made. And I thought they had a bit of a rough time with the music press here initially. Um, mm. I mean, you know, we, look, we were all little press darlings for a little while. And then Nirvana came along and it made us all look a bit like sort of Thames Valley um, spots or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, really don't know. But wasn't the whole term shoegaze kind of created as like, I guess it wasn't like a compliment. It, no, it, it was a put down. I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was the notion, which I thought was pretty right. Well, well, I mean, there, there is some truth in it because I mean, I think something behind it, which got a little bit overlooked and certainly was something that, that myself and Andy took sort of cues from was like Velvet Underground or, or yeah. you know, more, more that sort of side of, you know, where you make a kind of a real racket and but you're not prancing around, you know, letting ego go mad. I mean, I, I mean, I suppose in a sense, it was trying to feel that as people, you were approachable, that it could be one of the audience up there doing it. Um, and that I, I suppose naively or, or, or not, we just felt that the music would do the talking. But the notion we were just stood there looking at our shoes is a bit bizarre, but I, I kind of yeah. got what they were getting at. And also technically it was the birth of a lot of which which this could get really boring so i won't go too into it but it was the sort of birth of a lot of guitar effects pedals and stuff like that so we used to have this array of sort of pedals and stuff which made just bizarre sounds and yeah there probably was quite a bit of looking down to see what you were pressing next and uh it wasn't big showmanship let's say that but the gigs were you know all those gigs at that time and those bands i thought were really exciting and it was fresh and i think there was a sort of you know to get back to the original question there was a sort of mutual respect i think and you know i i kind of got to know some of those people and really liked them but but there was definitely as with always there's sort of an element of competition as well because you're like well what are they doing and why aren't we doing that or you know but but actually we at that time there was not a lot we we felt that we could do wrong it just went really well for us so um probably better than some of those other bands so we we were doing okay basically yeah yeah, I think you had that sort of sonic palette from bands like maybe Sonic Youth and My Bloody Valentine, but you kind of yeah, Sonic Youth, the game were, were key to, yeah, to but, because but more, of, um, a bit more of a musical poppy kind of tuneful angle, yeah, like, coming coming from Ride, which was fresh, I think. I think so because because of course myself and Andy were very into uh, at school. We we loved the Smiths, we loved REM, Beatles, you know, some obvious ones as well. So I think I think with that when the noise sort of thing came into us because Steve the bass player um, for us, he he was working at a record shop. And so he was so tired of people kind of coming in and ordering sort of Graceland, you know, good record or whatever <laughs> game. But So he was always at first dibs on the interest in music that was coming from the indie labels at that time. So it was really Steve that sort of started putting, you know, Loop, uh, you know, Valentine's, the creation records in into the mix with, where as we were sort of forming a band, which obviously... Myself and Andy were at school together. Steve was at the same school, but he was a couple of years older. That was the kind of mix then, you know, because so me and Andy were already writing maybe more popular songs, you know, I don't know, Aztec, I remember we played Oblivious Aztec Camera. We, you know, we, we, we liked, and we loved the Smiths and obviously the Bunnyman, all, all that sort of stuff. But then you put that mix of that sort of more new, fresh, sonic sort of sound into it. And I think that that really is the sound of ride then initially and, and for obvious reasons because you know we were we were just trying to sort of take on board all you know all, all that we were listening to at that point and put it all together
amazingly, you got picked up by the coolest label in town, Creation, back then. And yeah, I've got those first few EPs you did actually, the, the Daffodil and the Roses and those, those ones. And uh, yeah, what, what a label to be associated with. I mean, it was. And because at the time we were courted by a few kind of indie, well, they were calling themselves sort of independent labels, but then you realize they'd kind of got majors labels behind them. All good people, but we, we always just had a, a real fear that we could have signed to one of those people, then suddenly the majors take over and then we, we get turned into dried bunny or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, you yeah. know, some people would actually come in and alter what we were felt that we were doing. And we were, we were always sort of people that were pretty strong about how we wanted to be presented and how we wanted to sound. And I think the great thing then with Alan McGee was that he'd, I think it was Jim Reed. So the story goes that Jim Reed had heard something about us and sort of said, you, you should check this band out ride um, to Alan McGee. And at, exactly at that time, we were doing some support shows with the Soup Dragons because they'd got that big yeah. record on free out. And then Alan just came to all those shows and we, you know, we were kind of pretty on fire at that time. And then McGee famously sort of said either stalked people or he drugged people into <laughs> signing with him or whatever. Um, so we, we were on different kind of drugs. <laughs> A bit of both, but not, we were, you know, I mean, he, he basically stalked us. Yeah. And, um, and basically he came to every show and after every show we'd sit around with him and, um, and also the precursor to this was that I'd actually seen, uh, there was a, there was a program called Snub TV Oh yeah, uh, well. you know, which was you remember it, yeah. And there was a little two-minute clip that I did on Croatian Records that I had McGee walking around um, Clark and Road, I think, and uh, and then a little clip of my buddy Valentine's, a little interview with House of Love, and it was just like in that clip, you just thought, what is that? That is just unbelievable. Who are these people? This label? And we bought my buddy Valentine's records. We bought House of Love records at that time. So I parted quite a lot with Alan early days because that's that's what Alan does. He he gets to know people in the way that he'll party with them. Or he was then because he could keep going like that. Um, so then he builds trust because he gets to know people when they're off their heads. He gets to know people when they're in that situation. So then he learns to trust people because he knows who he's signing. And that's the thing. He sort of famously says, I sign people, not really acts in that way. So he trusted just to let us get on with it. And so it was a perfect label for us in that way. And then, and at the times when we did run into sort of problems, i.e. when we were kind of, in studios for the first time and then we burnt out our engineer because we were going all through the night or whatever and we were like who the hell's going to mix this because we can't hear it anymore and whatever then we'd be like Alan what are we going to do and then he was like right okay bring in Alan Mulder you know when he was needed it, you know he knew when to come in and sort of help the thing help create the thing Alan is still like a sort of family to me now I mean we've retained like great relations throughout time I mean from 19 18, 19 year old boy to now I'm, I'm still close with Alan so yeah I've got a lot of time for him First you look so strong Then you fade away The sun will blind
Yeah, what a label. And uh, yeah, but what a strange demise as well. You know, where they was riding so high and then and then poof and and. Well, I, I think it's the nature of what what made it great. I think it's an in some ways, I think it's the nature of what what made us good was that it just wasn't professional in that way. It was it wasn't like a careerist thing. It was just kind of what made it really great was that it was like a car kind of running it and getting faster and faster at high speed. And at some point the car's going to crash. And I think that was the same for us as a band. And I think that was the same for the label. There was no way Alan could keep going like he was going in that way of getting a part in and knowing people, knowing the bands and in that way. And I think Oasis was the final thing that tipped him over the edge because Mm -hmm. they came in and it was just utterly full on for him then. (laughs) It was just, just, yeah, it was just too much. It was just way too much in the end then. His sort of technique of getting to know the bands in that way. And, you know, he really wanted Oasis. I think he he wanted Stone Roses, but he kind of missed out on them. So he was always looking for who he thought would, would have been that replacement. And I guess Oasis was that and more to some extent, you know, so, but then of course that changed everything. It, you know, suddenly creation wasn't creation anymore. It became Oasis's record label. And then the majors Sony got involved and it, you know, it it just wasn't the same thing anymore, but that's the way these things go. And and in a way, I think it's, it's fine. And that's, you know, with us, our story, I think it was was similar. We, you know, we, we were not careerists in that way. We just didn't know what we're doing really, but we enjoyed it. And, we just kept going with it. We were not very good at saying no to people. So we just kept going and going and going. Our management at the time were not good at sort of saying that these guys need a rest. They, they did, he didn't really know what he was doing anyway. So it was like, you know, it was like four or five people. We really didn't know what we were doing. We just tried to keep going until a point where we just smashed it into the wall as well. So that's just it, you know. And you're all young as well, which is, you know. Yeah, yeah, we, we were. And then you like, you know, you throw into the mix it was it was it was kind of like living in a bubble a, a fantastic bubble don't get me wrong I'm not, i would i would do it again um but you it was like a bubble existence and then at a certain point those bubbles burst and um it was strange because we i guess other people that were outside of the bands and people that you know from relationship people to people we've been at art school with just other norm, normal people were kind of starting to experience the bumps in the road the ups and downs of more normal living and life you know working and all that stuff we were just in this weird bubble like going around the world playing shows you know being flying around being like indie rock stars all over the place and uh fantastic but of course when the bubble burst then you're suddenly like six seven eight years behind everyone else and like what real living is and like quite alienating in a way So what happened with you when that reality hit after that? After- I think, oh, well, I'll do another project and that's just going to be fine. It's just going to work like ride. Of course it doesn't. Reality starts to bite. I just realized that I had not in any way dealt with the fallout and what, what I'd been through. I felt sort of strangely 
guilty about the fact that other people, other mates and friends around me hadn't experienced success in that way. So my way of dealing with that was just I opened my house up to be like a party house really for about probably about two to three years where we all were involved in the local nightclub, which is the Zodiac in Oxford. I don't know if you've probably been to that. And then, of course, my house was the next stop, you know, so that the club used to shut at two and then people, security, people would come to my house. I just wanted to continue the party, I, I suppose. And then, you know, I, so, I mean, it was fun. I, it, it was it was, it was was a good period. And, and lots of people now I still bump into around Oxford. So I'm sort of like, do I know you? And they say, yeah, no, we, we were in your house. So, so, <laughs> all right. Maybe that's where okay, you know yeah. us from. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, the inevitable, I'd sort of burnt myself out a bit with that. And then I packed up, the, shut the nightclub, so to speak, <laughs> shut my doors. And I went and then lived in rural medieval France for about four years. Well, in my mind then, I thought I'm going to live like a man on this source sort of existence and meet a local sort of French farmer's daughter and <laughs> have, live, ha- live happily ever after. A, we've all simple had life. that dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, that didn't work out either in that way, but I, I was kind of doing building work and, and, you know, just stuff just to help sort of, you know, pay the bills and get a bit of money in your pocket. Um, and as I tell you, at times when you're digging holes, foundations with sort of French labourers and, in you know, to converting barns at sort of seven, eight in the morning, I did have a lot of moments of like, Jesus, why did it all go wrong? Like, what, what happened? But in saying that, just being in nature, um, it was like the perfect sort of, therapy it was perfect for me because it's uh, everything that I'd been utterly drained of um nature and that area of France just kind of slowly replenished sort of and also during that time I went to India as well for like well, I was only going to go for a month and I ended up there for six months and uh you know all the sort of cliche thing of getting into ashrams doing yoga just I thought oh, apparently all this stuff's supposed to make you feel good and um you know so I did detox things there and I did yoga and ashrams which I still do now and you know and it just I just really needed to do that but again I sort of fell into that off of you know the cliche sort of indie rock rock and roll sort of lifestyle that had become my life really you know even when I wasn't in right time music was carrying on i guess even though you may not maybe yeah. working towards kind of producing and recording other people somewhat i think um sure have actually you may have actually worked with uh, someone we interviewed not so long ago actually who's that anton Newcomb? anton yeah yeah we, yeah i did yeah a- anton when, when i first with anton it was a little bit tricky because he was still drinking a lot um and but I'd, we we met really early doors with all those the jonestown guys because um i think they all famously came to a the ride show that we did in San Francisco on H Street. And I think they were all tripping or something. And I think they all had a bit of a, a kind of light bulb, kind of like, wow, this band sort of moment. And um, so from there on, we we knew them. And some really hated me then because he was probably right. I just thought I was a sort of bit of an arrogant twerk. 
he made no bones about telling me that when we started to reconnect. <laughs> he was just like, you're such an ass. You're such an asshole, man. So I was like, yeah, all right, bloody, I'm coming from you, Anton. It's like, right. <laughs> and um, I always kept close to him. I, I really I, I really liked Anton. And obviously, he kind of had his own demons that he's, he's dealt with really well. And um, then we, but, but actually before that, when he was drinking, I did get put, um, flown over to Iceland to work on that. It's my bloody underground record with him, which was, pretty eventful um and and we did finally get into the studio for i was like anton we are i I was sort of flown here to uh, make music man you know we've got to try and do that and we did then lock ourselves away for a couple of days and everything that was that we did together on that record was literally just first takes like walking up to my like he was really into it which was quite good because it's like you know just do the first thing that that you react to you know it's just react to the music in that way and it's good to work with him and then slowly you know, obviously Anton got out of Iceland. Um, he went through his thing. He stopped drinking, and then we, we've seen quite a lot of each other since he's been in Berlin. And he took, he played, came on stage with Ride a few times more recently, and they're great. They're, they're the real deal. And um, you know, I, I've I've got a lot of time for all those people. We're going to base our show around 1991. Tease us a little bit about your song choice. In '91, it would have just been pre us releasing Going Blank again. East Oxford at that time was not the Oxford that people kind of know, like the University Oxford. We, we lived in East Oxford, which was uh, kind of where the tour buses would come towards the Cowley Road and then do a big U-turn and go back to the lovely university area. But basically, ourselves, Swerve Driver, Supergrass, um, all of those bands were in, in and around East Oxford at that time. And a lovely guy um, who's sadly no longer with us called John, I can talk about it now because he's not going to go and get busted. But he used to live above a shop called Honest Stationery in the Cowley Road, Oxford. And people used to go and visit it because it was a very easy and nice place to go and buy pot and have a smoke and and listen to music. And so at various times, we'd cross paths with those bands. That album, I remember so many nights just sitting, very stoned in in that room. So many fond memories. And it just blew me away every time I heard it because I just think it was really groundbreaking. Obviously, there was a bit of a golden triangle with Oxford, Bristol, Brighton, with bands and people that we, you know, we obviously were aware of bands, good bands that had been coming out of Oxford because obviously Radiohead started to do their thing at that point as well out of Oxford. And then we were very aware that Bristol had got this sort of slightly different kind of scene and music, which, again, we just loved.
from the album Blue Lines is um, uh, Massive Attack, Unfinished Symphony. Well, actually, not Massive Attack, they changed to Massive, wasn't it? Cause it's to do with the Gulf War, so they just became Massive. And um, yeah, Unfinished Symphony, and just what a track. It really defined that early 90s sort of sound and era for me. And, and um, it was a big influence on when we did uh, Chrome Waves, uh, the, the ride track. We wanted to sort of create that's what the strings that sort of string feel on chrome waves is all about we wanted to do our own sort of version of that feeling that um unfinished that symphony had with the with the strings it's just one of those tunes that um just sort of changed everything it takes me back to the early 90s so much when i hear it yeah. quite insane actually yeah and me too and i never tire of it and, and in fact pretty much any song on that album and the album it never gets old for me and actually pretty much all of what massive done since then just always brilliant and um interesting and obviously that's that whole kind of connection as well with banksy and uh I'm never quite sure what that is. Um, yeah. It just totally marks a time for me. It was just something that I just always sort of found solace in that music and just something different. And it just felt very of the time, fresh. It was also when people had really started to use samples so well. I saw a guy do a, a breakdown of the track and uh, there's like a kind of marching band sort of sample in there. But it's like something so strange that you would think, where would they have ever found that record? And and how but how they use that again with with other samples within that record is just genius. And it's funny also. It's probably best listened to like late at night at someone's house, isn't it? Like you're saying, it's that. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that. I mean, I'm that that was when it, it was always in rotation in that way. Um, I mean, I must have heard that track so many times, and just every time it just takes you on a just takes you away. Great choice. Yeah, thanks. Leading the way, I guess, in what was known. As trip hop with those other bands that were coming through as well, you know, Portishead and Tricky. Portishead, great album as well. Yeah, the early stuff was amazing. Yeah, and that was actually a guy, the guitarist of them was an Oxford guy as well. So there was a, sort of another connect there with Portishead. Yeah. Um, look a little bit into the future then when you kind of got right back together again uh, mm-hmm. in um, mid-2010s kind of thing, you decided to sort of... It was okay. twenty around 2015, I think, yeah, after the sort of car crash from the first time, which I suppose in some ways was needed as well, and it was always going to happen, as I sort of talked about earlier. It was good to be out of each other's pockets and hair when we had, well, when I had it (laughs) for a a little period. um, I think we all needed to go and do what we did. Um, Obviously, Andy, a bit more well-documented, ended up in Oasis, which was pretty, playing bass, which was a bit of a strange one. He's a better guitarist than Noel. Um, (laughs) Noel always always knew that. But, I mean, in some ways it's surprising, but in other ways not, because we obviously knew those guys pretty well from the creation days and we we're always good apart you know i think we were like that just to not see each other for a while because that was intense from you know being in school together um yeah. to to 1996 when it all kind of 
imploded and exploded or whatever but there was always a feeling that we were always we always would, would i mean i still saw a lot of laws um uh, because laws was still in oxford as, as i was andy and steve had moved to london so i didn't see so much of them but we always still you know saw each other socially at times hung out and just sort of caught up so there was it was always felt good I mean, I started hitting the point where you start losing parents and stuff. And, you, you know, it's just that thing where you realize that time, you know, when you're 20s, you don't think about, you just think time's forever and life's forever. But I suppose little things like that start to happen where you, yeah, you just start to appreciate that that things are not forever. And um, I, th- I remember all the guys being at, I think it was my dad's funeral and stuff like that. And you're just like, I, I don't know. I just felt that there was still so much more that we could do because uh, we were, we were good and that I wanted to. I mean, I just thought it'd be an absolute tragedy if we didn't just play music together at some point and just make more music. That was really the driver. You made some great records over the last few years. You've made Thanks. Them. They're excellent. And that, yeah. they sound like Ride, but they sound modern as well. In a- well, no, I hope so. That's right. So I'd never, I think even even at the time in the 90s, we, we, were not, we didn't really want to we didn't want to kind of repeat everything was moving so fast that the albums were just changing all the time. We're a reflection of that. After that time, when we came back together, we've always just really, you know, like yourselves, you know, always been moved by a lot of music. And I think the, there was a lot of music, you know, influenced us. And, and it was just nice, just the feeling of like, let's just do this again and just see where it goes. In our absence, even though the band had not been operating for 20 years, the, the band had massively grown. So, yeah, to kind of come back and be doing headlining Primavera's 60, yeah. 70,000 people, I mean, that was just Amazing. kind of pretty insane. I mean, it was great. And it was just like a vindication in a way that it was kind of the right thing to do, just to come back. I mean, why, why wouldn't anyone want to do that? Um, and also just felt like, you know, we just knew that we'd, we'd got some really good music, also that we felt really good about under our belts as well and it just seemed to vindicate vindicate the whole thing you work with errol alkin yeah who has a background as a dj i guess yeah i mean Errol's great errol also had sort of ran indie clubs or kind of got indie clubs together at that time as well so he was someone like ourselves that's just really eclectic in music that we were absorbing that and that we we listened to he's a sort of vibey guy and errol was brilliant at kind of then just going, well, I think these tracks work together in a DJ way kind of thing. Let's put that one there, this one there, this one's great. So it was good to have that sort of sensibility in there with us because, you know, we know what we're doing with our guitars and stuff. And he knows what he's doing, you know, with that music alongside Beats. You know, he's a Beats DJ as well. So that made it a more kind of interesting combination and, and worked out really good.
kind of in the midst of finishing another album now and I think there's because I've got the studio now so we were allowed some time where without the clock ticking and the the money meter going up going like oh god we can't afford to be here it's nice that we were able to afford ourselves some time of just Mm. being in here jamming and just mucking around we don't want to take up too much of your time um, it's okay. Yeah, I'm all right. We we should. Uh, it's, we like, should... it's like a therapy. Like some of these things end up being like a sort of therapy session. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually using you guys. You're on beer, but I'm I'm not in therapy now, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we should talk about um, the Australian tour. You guys are coming out here. We are. Yeah. I mean, and, I, and I'm glad it's happening. Uh, look, I, re- I remember again back in the day, Australia was always fantastic for us, but it, and it was also always great because it was usually alongside Japan. And you and yeah. they are two countries that you couldn't get further apart in both in brilliant ways. I love Japan for what Japan does, and I love Australia because it kind of Japan was full on for us back then. So Australia then was the kind of like it felt more like being on holiday. Then by the time you came back to England, you felt a bit more normalised because yeah, Australia did did that great thing of like you know if you want a beer, don't worry about it, it's going to come, and it was sort of just complete different attitude which i which i liked it's funny there's actually a scene here at the moment i don't know if you've heard of it it's instead of shoegaze it's called rugaze r-o-o <laughs> and it's aussie bands who are dipping their right. hat to you guys lots of them lots of them well yeah good that's good to hear i mean i don't i maybe i know some of them i mean yeah but I will, we'll, i'm not sure if we've worked out who's playing with us when we come over but um it's great. And I must say, at times, in dark times, sat here it, during the pandemic, you're like, will we ever play again? It's like, are people ever going to want to go into venues again? You know, and whatever. You just to know that we've got odds coming up. It's just great. It just feels like that's, that's, I'll, I'll really take that and I'll really look forward to that. They're, um, they're great venues you're playing here as well. Like, really, you know, brilliant. great places. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I mean, I'm really pleased that we're coming and we're doing that. And, and you know, and like anything, you just, we'll just play it like, it could be the last time we ever do it because you just don't know. I think we are playing nowhere and, and there'll be more than that. But, I mean, it's nice to, I don't know, a bit of time travel and hopefully we can drop some new bits and pieces in as well. But, I mean, it will certainly cover, for the more nostalgic element, they'll be they'll be satisfied. And for those that want to sort of go to some newer places as well, they'll, they'll, they'll be covered as well, I would, I would think. So, yeah, it's, it should be good. Good stuff. Also, yeah. I mean, you know, the weather gets a bit moody here this way. So <laughs> November, December or whatever. I mean, it's World Cup time as well. So that's going to be interesting. Not, oh, yeah, not wow. If you can have a World Cup in Qatar, we'll see how that one works out. But It's in a good time zone, Qatar and Australia, so you can watch the games here. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Although I worked out that some of them would be like four in the morning and stuff. But I mean, Ooh, it's fine. Okay. But, we will, you know, but anyway, it would be a good little period. And I think World Cup's always a bit of a fun period anyway and to be playing in, in Australia and it'd be nice. Uh, yeah, we'll be ready for a bit of sun and stuff then, for sure. <laughs> Very much looking forward to it. So um, you'll be over here in yeah. November, December. So thanks so much for having a chat with us. Um, this yes, morning. thanks so much. Brilliant. Yeah, That's thank cool. you. Yeah, it's, been, it's been nice talking to you guys. Yeah, and I, I look forward to... Will we see you when we're out there? Maybe do... do are you going to be in Melbourne? Well, do, if you're around, come and say hi. Good to see you. Oh, for sure. Fantastic. For sure. We're nice to have a beer beer together in person we'll have a beer in melbourne definitely good i'll I'll look out for these uh rue gazers thanks guys guys take care see you now bye-bye yay chatting with mark that was cool gareth um rider coming out to australia they are, and they're doing a like a 30th, well, I guess it's a, a delayed 30th anniversary yeah. tour for their, um, their debut album nowhere, album, nowhere. From 1990, so 32nd anniversary yeah. tour. Yeah, yeah. Where are they playing? 
They're playing at the Forum in Melbourne, the Enmore Theatre in Sydney, the Gov in Adelaide, Princess Theatre in Brisbane, and the Frio in Perth. It kicks off on Tuesday, 29th of November. So jump on Ticketek if you want to go and see Right. Yay, we'll be there. Sounds good. Uh, I'm going to play yeah. a song who got signed to Creation Records Yeah. because Mark Gardner gave a tape to Alan McGee of this band. Okay. From Oxford. Here number four. Song four.
that was Swerve Driver. I mm. didn't know they were from Oxford. They are from Oxford, yeah. Yes, yeah, so they were part of that scene, were they? Well, I guess so. I think they, they yeah. probably adopted a more, uh, inverted commas, American sound. My brother had a Swerve Driver CD. That's how I know right. them. Yeah, so yeah. They, they kind of, I guess they're a sort of, a cross between Sonic Youth and shoegaze in a way yeah they kind of link those two sonic youth and and, and dinosaur jr or something they've got those american kind of guitar-y things happening yeah, pretty, pretty pretty american sounding yeah i thought that was cool i saw them play back yeah back yeah, in yeah. 91 i would pretty have seen riffy them. yeah that was yeah. off their first record and then as i said before mark gardner gave the demo tape to alan mcgee they got signed and mark just said he's been working with them recently so they're go. still going or they reformed and they're um, going strong now so yeah like a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, new words in the dictionary. Yeah. The word crowd surf was there for the first time. Really? Yeah. That's interesting, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So crowd surfing in, um, do you ever do that? Do you ever jump into the- No, I into... was too sensible to do that. You yeah. ever do it? I did. <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah. Me, me too. Oh, because I used to go and see noisy bands like yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah. Jesus Lizard. And- uh, I, do, do you know it's funny? I remember my brother went to the um, Big Day Out and crowd surfed to Iggy Pop. There was no way I was going to do it. <laughs> so, I mean, stage <laughs> diving. Stage diving, I guess, yeah. is the same thing. And I thought yeah. that, and that would have come from hey, initially. Gareth, have you ever heard young people are really stupid? Have you ever I heard? was very stupid. Yeah. Like, initially, I like. Iggy Pop would have been jumping into the crowd, yeah. doing stage diving, and then yeah. did he then, invent? He basically invented. I would it, have didn't thought he? so. I don't yeah. know if anyone would have bothered beforehand. But, yeah, um, I would have gone see bands like Mud Honey, yeah, Jesus Lizard, yeah, Babes and Tour. There would have been people jumping. You've off. seen all of them back in the. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So they were you, you. You were lapping up the American grunge. Stuff. That was my thing then. That was yeah. my thing. So I, I would have probably had a huge pair of Doc Martens with steel toe caps, <sighs> jumping into the crowd and kicking someone in the head as in the mosh pit. It was and ridiculous. you thought you were having a good time and do you know what's really funny Gareth do you remember when um, the Go team came out and played at um, the big day out in I think it was 2004 or something oh yeah oh, Where, was Iggy many. Pop headlining that one quite possibly yeah and the funny thing was we, uh, I'm pretty sure we were watching Iggy Pop he had um, like bouncers up on stage mm. do you remember mm. that mm. so you know people would try and get up it, like he was crowd surfing right but if anyone came close to him, the bouncers would like rip them yeah, away. Fair enough. But yeah. yeah. This is a quick also ran for me. Like if you're talking about all those um, grunge bands from back in the day. And I think in the original 91 episode, we talked about how um, you co-wrote some songs with uh, <laughs> Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain in, um, mm. in, in Wales or mm. whatever it was. Mm. But um, I just had one weird also ran because you played my Tammy Wynette and KLF one. What do you yeah. think of Hole? I don't like yeah. them very much. I, I, I never, have a record, but I, I never liked them at the time. I yeah. came to them way later than '91, like maybe like '96 or something. Right. They did some later stuff, which was and um, you know, like obviously Courtney Love's become a celebrity, but like, do you think this song's okay? Have a listen to this. <laughs> That's from Pregnant yeah. on the Inside. And uh, because 
I was so in love with Babes in Toyland. I yeah. thought Hole were a uh, yeah, it's a rivalry a cheap, between them. Okay. A cheap kind of copy. Okay. Do you know Babes in Toyland much? I do, and I know they had a rivalry. But what? But yeah. what do you think? Don't you think that like stands up? That's quite good. That's okay. I mean, it sounds very 1991. Yeah, well, that's like, the year we're in. That's, <laughs> that's why I'm playing it. Yeah, I, I, it's yeah. pretty. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. And I, I, I definitely saw her back then. Down yeah, there, so, as I mentioned before. But um, you know how I like to change tack. Go on then. Um, you'll be grateful it's not a blues song I'm going to play. Well, there weren't many blues songs back in 91. Oh, I could have played like B.B. King or something like that, but okay. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to play a 1991 power ballad. A 1991 power ballad? Yeah. Okay. It's uh, not Jeremy Pearl Jam, is it? <laughs> no, which incidentally, Gareth, I was reading about that before we were doing this. Do you know why he wrote that? Some kid came in and shot himself, committed suicide in front of a class. Oh. He was called Jeremy. And oh. then and then Pearl Jam wrote the song. But oh, no. that's okay. an aside. At home and pictures. Enough of that shit. This kid rolled in. They said to him, um, get something from your locker, and he came back with a gun and blew mm. his head off. Yeah. Google Jesus. Google that one, listeners. God. But no, I'm gonna play us a 1991 European power ballad. It was the soundtrack to the breakup of the Eastern Bloc. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, and there's a conspiracy theory that the CIA wrote it. Ah. And it's by a German band, right? Yeah. Let's listen to it and come back and play it. <laughs> it's funny already. Here, <laughs> number five. Song five. And down to Gorky Park Listening to the wind of change An August summer night Soldiers passing by Listening to the wind of change
Holy uh, shit. Listeners, are you still there? Yeah. Are you, right. Have you turned off? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon the um, this episode's going to rank pretty big in Europe, Gareth. Maybe not so much in England, Australia, and America. Wow, that was the German band, the Scorpions. Yes, with winds, winds of, of change. change. Yeah. Now I wow. did say now there was a reason I played it. Yeah, no, I've forgotten it. It's just a cool tune. <laughs> we needed a power ballad to get us through the episode. All yeah. right. As we mentioned in our previous yeah. 91 episode, yeah. it was the fall of the communist yes. block. Eastern, Eastern, Eastern block. block. So, and that was a bit of a soundtrack to it a little bit mm, later. Right. So there's a whole podcast, Gareth. A journalist claims that that song is not written by the German band The Scorpions. It's written by the CIA yeah, right. to sort of win the hearts and minds of the Eastern Europeans and get them to turn away from communism and embrace Western capitalism. Well, the CIA must have some amazing songwriters and lyricists <laughs> in there. Drinking was just a dude who, like, he worked for the CIA, but he didn't mind writing, <laughs> writing a so, tune. I, I can write yeah. one. Hey, I can write one. Like the brill we, building of the CIA. Is yeah. that they do mention, like, Gorky Park, which is in Russia and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's yeah, clearly yeah. aimed at, they're talking about yeah. it. Talking about yeah. Like, the wall had come down recently. Yeah. It was definitely a time for change. There was yeah. lots of change happening. What, what do you think of it musically? Like it's, it's um well it's a power ballad yeah it's it's a it's, it's a hangover from the eighties right but you know how I like to mix it up listeners I I, I loved yeah. it I loved it and yeah. well, there was lots of change happening in so yep I remember the yeah. beginning of the Iraqi war do you remember yeah that, I remember then? that yep I remember that yeah I think that was I January remember America yep bombing. Iraq in yeah. 91. Yep. And it was all on TV. So that would have yep. been the first kind yeah, of war. Yeah, we were watching that. Yeah. The, the first war we'd seen on TV, you know. Yep. You'd, see, you'd see the missiles kind of raining down on uh, Baghdad. That's true, Gareth. And also, I, I, this is my last fact. This is an Australian TV fact. Um, there was a spin-off from Hey Dad in 1991. See, I don't really know what Hey Dad is. But oh, is well, with, you know, what was, yeah, what was yeah. the spin-off of Hey Dad? It was called Hampton Court, Gareth. Hampton Court. Yeah, it lasted for 13 episodes and it was Betty, the secretary from Hey Dad. She got her own show. Okay. Yeah, it didn't rate. <laughs> now the listeners have turned off. Yeah. <laughs> Wowzers, okay. Other little things in the news then. Robert Maxwell, do you know who he is? Father yeah. of uh, the other. Uh, um, G- G- Ghislaine Maxwell. I don't know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a media baron. He was. He used yeah. to run He was the... an utter prick. Uh, you yeah. Know, she's. Uh, you know, been j- she's in jail. Yeah. So, Daddy right. Mirror, he was the he was yeah. the, he was a media baron, kind of yeah. him and um, uh, Murdoch, Murdoch were kind of big rivalries. They, okay. He was found floating off his. He committed suicide essentially because he'd ah. been uh, okay. Got been a, we up to do no like to talk about a suicide. Yeah. yeah so he, yeah, that was happening. Um, apartheid was starting to fall yep. apart, which is very yep. interesting. You know, it was um, De Klerk and Mandela in South Africa, uh, Croatia. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. Was formed independence from Yugoslavia, and that yep. started, you know, kicking off the, the Balkan war. war and stuff like yeah. that. And closer to home, um, everyone was having raves around the M25. So that was a big kind of. I know they right. um, like acid houses, kind of towards the late '80s, but okay. now in '91, it was pretty much overground. So were you, were you going, going to rave? I wasn't. I wish no. I had. But yeah. um, I knew people who were. You were listening like, to like Sonic Youth and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I was like, what's all this about? But yeah, I think I would have, gone, yeah. I would have uh, appreciated a bit of that. Um, maybe. I don't know. No, I wouldn't. That was all kicking off. As a, an also ran, I might mm. play one of these tunes because this band released this, which was um, 
precursor to what was going to happen in the late uh, 90s. Who's that? So that's a track called Charlie. Yeah. By the Prodigy. So oh, that's a, a prodigy. early prodigy, and that, that was that, is that referencing cocaine, Charlie? Well, in the seventies, yeah, there would be like these public information yeah. things for kids, and the character Charlie was in oh, there. Okay. Charlie says, "Don't talk to strangers." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie says, "Don't piss on the third rail and stuff yeah. like that." So, and um, so they've lifted that from the public information thing. It was like a little animated character. Oh, the Charlie was the cat who would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the, the, the kid would say, Charlie says, don't do this, that, and the other. So they lifted that. for their, That was their first track. That, and then um, five years later, they were doing Smack My Bitch Up. Yeah. So that's yeah. the Prodigy early on. I never liked the Prodigy. I quite liked that. That was yeah, quite good. Okay. Well, maybe you like early Prodigy. Well, we mentioned Babes in Toyland before. Maybe I'll play, yeah. play a little bit of Babes in Toyland as, a, as wait, an also round. Oh, okay. As yeah, an also yeah, round. Yeah, 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 yeah. No scorpions, but um, it's no scorpions. No, I would have been going to a bunch of their gigs when they played. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. In the UK. Were they good then. live? Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, you know, I was young and stupid. I, yeah, I like that. Stuff. You were crowd surfing. <laughs> <I was> crowd surfing, <laughs> probably. I probably was. Um, yeah. But okay, I'm going to finish with another one, and it's yeah. not from that genre. Let's see, if, what do you think of this one? Well, on a brighter note, commercial break. The government has now banned the carrying of spears. Stop about every thousand miles ain't asking too much, is it? You might wish to uh, stay on and listen. It was a place where everything was legal. I met this woman. So if you're looking for emotional satisfaction, my advice to you is seek professional help. Fear number six. Some Thank six. you for joining us live on the air. My pleasure. One Nation. Under God has turned into one nation under the influence of one drug. Television, the drug of a nation, breeding ignorance and feeding radiation on television. The drug of a nation, breeding ignorance and feeding radiation. TV, its satellite links are United States of unconsciousness. Apathetic, therapeutic, and extremely addictive. 
the methadone metronome, pumping out 150 channels 24 hours a day. You can flip through all of them, and still there's nothing worth watching. TV is a reason why less than 10% of our nation reads books daily. Why most people think Central America means Kansas. Socialism means un-American, and apartheid is a new headache remedy. Absorbed in its world, it's so hard to find us. It shapes our minds the most. Maybe the mother of our nation should remind us that we're sitting too close to the television. The drug of the nation, breeding ignorance and feeding radiation on television. The drug of the nation, breeding ignorance and feeding radiation. TV is a stomping ground for political candidates. Where bears in the woods are chased by Grecian formed at bald eagles. TV is mechanized politics, remote control over the masses, co-sponsored by environmentally safe gases. Watch for the PBS special. It's a perpetuation of the two-party system, where image takes precedence over wisdom, where sound by politics are served through the fast food culture. Where straight teeth in your mouth are more important than the words that come out of it. Race baiting is the way to get selected. Willie Horton or Willie not get elected on television. The drug of a nation, breeding ignorance and feeding radiation on television. The drug of a nation, breeding ignorance and feeding radiation. On the screen is an address where you can mail your tithe offering or gift of love. Okay, got the idea? All right, I'll let Is it the reflector or the director? Does it imitate us or do we imitate it? Because a child watches 1,500 murders before he's 12 years old. And then we wonder why we created a Jason generation that learns to laugh rather than abhor the whore. TV is a place where armchair generals and quarterbacks can experience first I thought television drug of the nation was... Um Public enemy. No, so that is the disposable heroes of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Wow. Hypocrisy, not hypocrisy. Oh. Hypocrisy. Yeah, right. Michael Franti. Um, oh, that's Michael Franti. Who went on to this spearhead. spearhead. Yeah. So. Oh, I never got into them. No, but I, yeah. I actually had this album yeah. back that was, in the day. That, that sounded pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, it's kind of a, a little different to some of the other stuff we play. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the message there obviously is kind of still relevant, except still, <laughs> you know, instead of television, it's like throw in iPads, phones, YouTube, and, uh, yeah, YouTube, YouTube, the drug of the nation. They didn't last that long. That band, they were kind yeah. of they weren't really adopted by. Weirdly, they weren't. Adopted by the black community because I think they were quite outspoken against other hip hop okay. kind of um, tropes yeah. of the time. You know, the gangster rap was kind of coming mm. through big at the time, and they mm. were they were definitely not that. They were kind of yeah, 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 speaking out against. And that then stuff. like he would come out here and play with Spearhead and like yeah, I don't oh, really know Spearhead. It's oh, not, I think it's it not was, my thing. I don't think it was too good. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, again, that's probably why I don't know. Um, yeah. But I thought that that track's worth that playing. song was good. Yeah, cool. Is that us done for 1991 again? I liked it. Thanks to Mark Gardner for that lovely chat and go and get your tickets for a ride. Um, Are we going to come back with a bit of a special next week, Gareth? You're you're having a stroke. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. Well, it's, we're coming towards the end of October, aren't we? So maybe yeah. we should uh, come back with a well, a Christmas special, <laughs> yeah, and then a St. Patrick's Day one, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll roll yeah, for that. Maybe not the Valentine's one, but the yeah, yeah. So back next week, you and I doing a bit of a um, yeah. a special. You can guess what we're going to do. Oh, oh, I'll put some reverb on that. See what it sounds like. Okay. Yeah. Fuck. Santa Claus is back. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh. All right. Um, see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I've got time for one more round and a six-pack to go. Six-pack. One six-pack to go.